Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled Passover. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 20, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Wherever there are Jews in the world today, the celebration of Passover is the most important time of the year. And that's to say, the people of Israel, whether they're religious or not, have never forgotten this event. It and not any other event more profoundly marks them as a nation. And wherever there are Christians, we remember that the Lord and Savior was crucified at Passover. And Paul, speaking to those who love Christ, says, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Of course, that doesn't mean that, you know, Christians are called to celebrate the Jewish festival of Passover. But our worship of Christ is expressed in our celebration at the Lord's table, our communion meal, in which the elements of Passover were transformed so that we would for all time remember Christ's death on our behalf. And so today, in our ongoing study of the book of Exodus, we come to a pause in the action. We've seen nine plagues decimate Egypt. The 10th plague will be the final and decisive plague, an incredibly important pause. You know, for this pause tells us the meaning of these plagues. You know, this pause, well, it's not really a pause at all. It's the center of the story. And more so, it forces us to understand that the theme of Exodus is salvation and the mercy of God. And furthermore, Passover reminds us that there is no mercy from God. There is no salvation unless blood has been spilled. So let's begin to read Exodus 12, 1 to 2. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, for all sorts of good reasons, you know, Bible students who are paying close attention, I mean, sometimes they're confused right here. You're going to notice that there are, in fact, two different calendars. One is religious and the other is agricultural. So in Exodus 23, verse 16, we read, you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruit of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Now, the feast of ingathering at the end of the year would be during the time when summer transitions to fall. That was the time that that harvest would come in and the year would be effectively over. And then the next month would be, well, the month of Tishri, equivalent to our September to October. You know, it varies slightly because the Jews functioned on the lunar calendar, but Tishri in late September to October is the first month of the year. New Year would be Tishri the first, and then you would have plowing, and then by the next month, you would have the planting of grain, which would lie dormant throughout the winter. And that's the calendar that would follow the agricultural year. Now here, however, in Exodus 12, verse 2, we're told that at the celebration of Passover, which would be the month of Nisan, it's equivalent to our March to April, just like the Easter celebration, that would be the first of the year. So so which is it? Is it Nisan, March to April, and the celebration of Passover, that's the beginning of the new year? Or is it Tishri, September to October, which is the beginning of the new year? Well, the answer is that the Jews had two New Year's days. One was religious and the other was related to agriculture. And so it's one thing to celebrate the beginning of the new agricultural cycle. And it's another thing to celebrate God's great saving act in history. 
The religious new year was the celebration of God saving Israel from slavery and saving them unto himself. That was the beginning of the story of how it is that they came to be the people of God. And so before the 10th plague comes on Egypt, all Israel is to stop and to think. What is about to happen will mark you from now on as the people of God. But how would they celebrate this? So let's continue to read Exodus 12, 3 to 11. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn." In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, at the heart of this matter, Passover is a meal. It's a feast. It's a celebration of eating. But like all celebrations, there was proper preparations that needed to be made. You don't just throw things together at the last minute. You've got to prepare. And the kinds of preparing that are to be done is set out by a revelation from God. On the 10th of Nisan, every household head, that is, you know, the father of the household, is to select just one lamb to be consumed by his entire household. Nothing is to be left over. And in those cases where the household is too small, well, they've got to find another household with which they can share. Now, for time reasons, I'm going to miss some of the details of this meal, but join me in considering some very important elements of this meal. Passover is a communal meal, not an individual celebration. Families are called together. They must eat together, and that's essential. And furthermore, the entire nation eats, but each family eats by themselves at the same time. The importance of family, then of the tribe, then of the nation, that's built into the celebration of Passover. Passover puts the entire nation into solidarity with each other. It's important for a number of reasons. The ten plagues will mean the death of the firstborn of every household. The Passover means the salvation of the firstborn of every household. But there's also something else here. Faith, when it's genuine, is never an individual thing. See, in our day, it's so important for us to hear that, especially when there are people who think they can practice their faith either online or when they think that individual Christianity is just fine. I mean, Passover reminds us that faith is an expression of solidarity, one with the other, brothers with sisters, sitting down at the table of brotherhood and sisterhood and joining arms and saying that we not only trust in the deliverance of our God, but that we do it with each other. And that, I think, is the reason why it is one lamb for the household, not more than one. Each household is to celebrate that they eat from the same lamb. You know, as Christians who remember Christ as our Passover lamb, we remember that we do not feed on our individualistic visions of Christ. You know, our visions of Christ are the one Christ who has been given to all of us, 
the Christ we share together. Notice also that the Lamb is without blemish. I mean, two things come into my mind, and one is that when we worship, we do not bring to God our leftovers or the things that won't cost too much. I mean, the lambs without blemish are those lambs that are most prized and therefore those most precious and most valuable. But the lamb without blemish also reminds us that Jesus became our Passover lamb. He's the only one who could be our Passover lamb. For he was without sin. That's to say, no moral blemishes were found in him. He was pure and undefiled. No other lamb could do. Notice also that the lamb to be sacrificed had to be exactly one year old. I mean, given that this celebration of Passover happens in the spring, spring's the time when lambs are born. So you've got to understand there's a whole group of year old lambs at that time. You know, at a year, the lamb would be an adult, but because it's only one year old, the lambs represent promise. Again, we're reminded of Jesus being slain in the very prime of his life. But let's move forward. The heads of the families were to select the lamb on the 10th of Nisan, then sacrifice them four days later on the 14th. Everyone in all Israel is to kill the lambs at the same time. And then they were to take the blood from the lamb and smear it onto the door frames of their houses, along with the lintel, which is the the top beam of the door frame. And that's a sign that everyone living inside that house was living in obedience to the Lord's command. But it would also remind them that for them to have survived the angel of death, that such salvation could not have been accomplished without the shedding of blood. A sacrifice needed to happen. And they needed to display their confidence in that one sacrifice. See, I don't need to remind you. That's a sign of our faith today. Christ is our sacrificial lamb. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is never cheap. It's costly. Think of it in terms of life itself. Just in order for you to live, something has to die. In the case of meat, blood must be spilled. Same is true of our spiritual life before God, just to be forgiven, saved, set free from slavery and death. Shedding of blood needs to occur. Our faith is a most holy faith. It's a faith which has left our door frames stained with the blood of the lamb slain for us. Let's never forget. This month, we rejoice to see what God is doing through Back to the Bible Canada. We also offer thanks for the host of faithful supporters who pray, give, and encourage this Bible teaching ministry. Back to the Bible Canada is dependent upon God's supply through you. He is faithful, and His people reflect His faithfulness. Your consistent generosity, first-time donation, or becoming a monthly partner enables this ministry to consistently and faithfully proclaim God's Word across Canada. Thank you for the important role you play in ministry. May your soul know the delight of God's release from sin, guilt, and burden. For more information, to receive your Freedom in Christ Scripture calendar, or to offer a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. There is so much more to be said about Moses' instruction about the first and enduring Passover meal. They are to eat along with unleavened bread, bread that's later called the bread of haste. And that's because the unleavened bread is to symbolize haste, being in a hurry. 
It's bread that doesn't have time for yeast to rise. But later, leaven was to have a symbolic meaning. Leaven came to be a representation of sin. That is, no leaven means very much the same as having a lamb without blemish. And furthermore, we also see that the bread and the meat were to be eaten with bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs were always to be present, for they were a constant reminder of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. Israel was never to forget the bitterness, lest they forget the greatness of their salvation. You know, it's no different with modern Christians today. I mean, you check out Ephesians 2 verse 1, which calls believers to remember that at one time you were dead in trespasses and sins, living in the passions of the flesh and carrying out the desires of body and mind in your disobedience to God. We were once dead in our trespasses. And then later on in chapter 2 verse 11, we read the word again, remember. Remember at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of God. You were strangers to the covenants. You had no hope. You were without God. Remember that. And if you don't remember, you won't remember the greatness of your salvation and the deep gratitude and the impulse that you now have to fall on your knees and worship your creator who has saved you. And by the way, that's why our Lord instituted the new Passover, the Lord's Supper, in which we are to remember the things our Savior has accomplished. So many things and more were built into God's instructions regarding that first Passover. As Israel awaited the plague that would fall on Egypt, they were to busy themselves in building a worship meal, a celebration unto the Lord that must never be forgotten. So let's continue to read our drama, Exodus 12, 12, and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now here we're told for the first time the reason this feast will be called Passover. God will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. You know, for those of us who have been only concentrating that an angel does this, please notice something. In the end, it's God who has done it. His presence passes through the land. And as God comes, so comes judgment, so comes vengeance. You know, I've in the past, and I'm going to do it again, speak about God being a righteous God when he comes in vengeance. You know, all sin is mutiny against our great king our Lord and our God. God is our creator. God is the owner of everything. All life owes itself and its existence to God. Failure to submit to the government of God, the rightful governor of heaven and earth, that is a crime of infinite dimensions. God is right to avenge any insult on his government and upon any person who is engaged in that. On one night, Egypt was going to get a foretaste of the great judgment to come. Notice now how it happens. The first is that he strikes down the firstborn in the land, all the people, then all the animals. Second, we notice that God executes judgments on the gods of Egypt. As we've gone through this series, we've already seen that each plague is a humiliation and a repudiation of Egypt's gods and goddesses. The fact that there are 10 plagues is very significant. 10 is the number of completion. Ten plagues humiliates the gods and is a complete repudiation of their authority. But it is the final plague, that is the ultimate plague, leaving the power of the gods to be shown to be the sham that they are. 
You know, Stuart says that the worship of the many gods of Egypt had a goal, and that goal was that the gods provided life. The gods were seen as the granters of life, the protectors of the living. If one failed to worship the gods, one was in danger of death. But on one night, not one god of Egypt could grant life or sustain life or protect life. The real and only true God was passing through the land, and he was coming in judgment. Egypt was about to be delivered from their delusion, if only for a moment, when nothing but nothing could protect them from the owner of this earth coming to visit people. But there's one thing that would protect Israel, and in this, my dear listener, pay attention. Israel was not protected by her righteousness or by the idea that in spite of her own sin, God would overlook Israel's sin. Passover is not a euphemism for passing over unrighteousness and sinfulness, of which there was plenty in Israel. Rather, there was only one reason God would pass over the houses of those in Israel. That reason was the blood of the Lamb. The sign of the blood attached to the houses was a sign that the household trusted and believed and placed their lives into the promise of God. They had bent their knee and they had obeyed. They had obeyed not earning their salvation from that night of death but they had obeyed in faith, believing that God would deliver them from death. It is then in this sense that Passover is a prelude to our faith in Christ. Passover, although it speaks historically to a reality of something that happened some 3,500 years ago, is also something that prepares the table for the full revelation of what Christ's sacrifice means for us. You see, without Passover, we wouldn't be able to understand that we stood at the threshold of death and we would have fallen into death and been judged and condemned had not our gracious Father provided for us a Passover lamb to be slaughtered in our place. Exodus 12, 14 to 20. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. You know, this paragraph takes us you know, from the historical situation that existed at the first Passover, and then it invites Israel to create a permanent institution. And as we read these lines, we're reminded that the faith is a historic faith. To believe in the one true God is to root ourselves into the deeds of God in history. For we know that God, who has revealed himself, has done so in the past, and that his great deeds are never to be forgotten. They are to be remembered in a way that God has told us to remember. And the Exodus is to be remembered. You know, step one is that for seven days, no one's permitted to eat leavened bread. All leaven is to be removed. 
Failure to follow God's instruction would mean that one is cut off from Israel, and that is failure to observe the Passover in the way in which God had ordained. That was a serious sin. You see, failure to worship God in the way in which he has called us to approach him, that's outrageous. It shows contempt. And so one must remove leaven. On the first day of the feast, a sacred assembly is held. No one's permitted to work during Passover. And let's get back to this matter of being cut off. I mean, what practically did it mean? Well, the answer must mean that those who refused to worship in the way in which God had set out, they were removed from citizenship in Israel. In the New Testament, we can see that it meant at the time of Jesus to be thrown out of the synagogue and not provided an opportunity for worship. That would mean that it meant one was cut off from the favor of God, from the benefits that God gave to the nation, and by extension, it would mean to be cut off from eternal life. What we have here is a serious threat. To be in the faith means that we have to bend the knee to God. When he says, you shall worship me, he means it. When he designates how he is to be worshiped, he means it. When he stipulates that no one is to approach the Father except through the blood of the Passover lamb, he means it. We're not free to invent our own means of worship because he's God. God is determined that he is to be approached in the way that he has set out. And that's what makes the latter part of the book of Exodus so important. You know, for many, the last chapters, you know, are just details after details. But if that's all we see, we're missing something important. The great God is telling us how we might worship him. John, thanks for your message. You know, I think it's important for for God's people to understand that our salvation comes at a great cost, but it'll also cost us something, won't it? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't that wonderful? Um, You know, I, I know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer made that point, you know, that saying, when Christ bids a man to come and follow him, he bids him to come and die. That is, the one who died for us now comes and says to us, I call you to be united with me and that you lose your life in following me. So you're going to have to trust me all the way to the end. So, of course, you know, we can concentrate on the cost and, uh, you know, we can groan and say it's too heavy. But let's also concentrate on the promises that God has given, that all the promises are true, that whatever we give up in this world is not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, you know, let's remember this kind of thing that, yes, um, he who died for us calls us to die. Do it gladly. Do it knowing there is a great reward that awaits. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Every year, Back to the Bible Canada releases an annual scripture reading calendar. This is our most requested Bible resource. Well, the time has come to request your 2023 scripture calendar today with the theme, Freedom in Christ. Each month contains beautiful, thoughtfully selected images, inspirational Bible verses, encouraging quotes from Dr. John Newfeld, and a Bible reading plan that will help you read through the entire Bible in one year. We pray this calendar will inspire, keep you in the Word every day, and remind you of just how blessed we are to live freely in Christ. So for the month of October, request your copy of Freedom in Christ. But hurry, quantities are limited. To 
to request your free copy, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.